the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. A service of the Salem Media Group. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The Bible says that believers will be judged in that sense of rewards. It's an evaluation of our works to determine our rewards. And and God is going to look at our life and, and really, in essence, the question is, was your life spent with eternity in mind? Or did you use your life to do worthless things? Not necessarily sinful things, but things that were of no value. That's the issue. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving in that role since 1981. I think today's lesson in the book of Romans will settle some confusion that many of us have about the judgment of God. You see, there isn't just one judgment. There are several. The opening verses of chapter 2 focus, in particular, on judgment. That begs some questions. Who will be judged? On what basis? And when? Also, what are the penalties and rewards that will result from those decisions? The answers to those questions will affect all of us. So let's have our Bibles and notepads ready. Here is Pastor Steve to show us in God's Word how to sort it all out and apply what we have learned. Romans chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 16. Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively or do by nature the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, 
in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Now, the passage we've just read is about the judgments of God. I think that's very clear. Seven times in verses 1 through 16, the word judgment or judge is mentioned. Whenever the subject of judgment appears in the Bible, you've got to be very careful in interpreting it. Why? Because contrary to what many people believe, the Bible does not teach one general judgment for all. Scripture presents a number of different judgments, and unless we can differentiate which judgment the Bible is talking about, it can, uh, it can lead to confusion. While there are a number of judgments that the Bible speaks of, there are five that stand out in Scripture. The first judgment that stands out in Scripture is the judgment of sin, the judgment that took place on the cross in which the Lord Jesus Christ took our place when he died, and God judged him in our place. And that took place in 30 AD. God judged sin in the death of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we, if we trust him, might become the righteousness of God in him. So the judgment of, of sin took place at the cross. Another judgment is the judgment of believers' works. And actually, this isn't a judgment at all. It is the Bema seat. It is a place of reward, not a place of judgment for sin. The believer will never come under judgment. The believer will never be condemned. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but he will appear before the Bema seat. The Bema seat was a place in Greece where, where the uh, rewards were handed out. It was not a, a place where sin was dealt with or crime was dealt with, but it was a place where athletes would receive rewards. And so the Bible says that believers will be judged in that sense of rewards. It's an evaluation of our works to determine our rewards. And, and God is going to look at our life and, and really, in essence, the question is, was your life spent with eternity in mind? Or did you use your life to do worthless things? Not necessarily sinful things, but things that were of no value. That's the issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks about that. There's another judgment that stands out in Scripture, and that is the judgment of Gentile nations. Another name for that is, that is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And this takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he will separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep are those, are those who have evidenced that they truly are regenerate, saved people, Gentiles who were saved, saved during the tribulation period. And what will be the evidence? What will be the evidence that they are truly redeemed? Because they have treated, persecuted Israel with love. Every unbeliever is going to hate Israel during the tribulation. But the Lord Jesus is going to look and see that there were some who when Jesus said, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. What did he mean? Was he here physically during the tribulation? No. He said, as you have done unto these, the, the least of these, my brethren, so you've done unto me. As you've treated Israel, so you've treated me. And he's not saying that you can get to heaven by being good. He's saying that your, your positive approach and love and, and concern for the Jew during the tribulation proved that you truly were regenerate because nobody else is going to have a love like that for Israel during those days of anti-Semitism. 
So that is the judgment of Gentile nations after the seven-year tribulation. Then the Bible speaks of the judgment of Satan and his demons. At the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, called the Millennial Kingdom, a thousand years, uh, Christ reigns on earth out of the city of Jerusalem. After that, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 refers to that. But I suppose the judgment that most of us are familiar with, at least in terms, when we think of judgment, we think of this judgment as the judgment of the unsaved called the great white throne judgment. This is in Revelation chapter 20 as well. And this takes place at the end of the millennial kingdom. And every person who has never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ will appear before God to be judged. And it's only the question there of degrees of judgment. They will be judged, they will be punished, they will be condemned. Now, I believe that this is the judgment that is in view in Romans chapter 2. Though the Lord is giving principles of judgment, I think primarily what's in view here is the great white throne judgment. And I say that because of verse 16. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. There's coming a day when unsaved mankind will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ, not the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Father has given all judgment into his hands. And I think that that is what primarily is in view in Romans chapter 2. And what Paul is doing here is presenting his case, the case to prove that the Jewish moralist who prided himself on his behavior and his privileges as part of God's covenant people and keeping the law and having the law and being part of the chosen people, Paul is, is taking the carpet, so to speak, and just taking it out from under the Jewish moralist and saying, you stand guilty before God and you stand in need. You who pride yourself on the law stand in need of the righteousness provided through Jesus Christ. You see, the Jew saw himself as exempt from God's judgment because he was part of Israel. He felt he was rightly related to Abraham, rightly related to the covenants, rightly related to the chosen people. And and Paul's point in writing chapter 2 is to prove to the self-righteous Jew that he will face God's judgment. He is not exempt. And so in verses 1 through 5, we saw that the judgment is guaranteed. And that's really what verses 1 through 5 is about, the guarantee of God's judgment. The Jew who saw that, who thought that he could escape it, Paul says, you can't escape it, it's guaranteed. And the reason it's guaranteed is because it's based on truth. Look at verse 2. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. In other words, it's according to truth. You may think that you're going to escape the judgment of God because you think that you're better than other people, that you don't do the things others do. But listen, God knows and he's interested in just the facts, not, not your heritage, not your mother, not your father, not Abraham, not the chosen people. He bases judgment on truth. And the truth of the matter is found in verse 1. Therefore, you are without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Look at verse 3. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things, and you do the same things, that you'll escape the judgment of God? The judgment of God is based on truth. And the truth of the matter is that the Jewish moralist practiced the same sins he condemned others for. He just did it more internally. He didn't murder outwardly, he murdered inwardly. He didn't commit adultery outwardly, he committed it inwardly. He didn't steal outwardly, he coveted inwardly. 
God says his judgment is based on truth, and the truth of the matter is he's just as wicked as the Gentile. It's just that he's a little more sophisticated and respectable in his sin. But the moralist still, even after hearing that, didn't think that judgment would befall him because he reasoned God hasn't judged me yet, and he never will. In other words, his thinking was because God doesn't judge immediately, he'll never judge. There is a theory called the black swan theory. It refers to a large impact, hard to predict, and rare event. It comes from the ancient Western idea that all swans are white. But then the discovery of black swans in Australia forced people to change their ideas about swans. The Great White Throne Judgment will absolutely be a high-impact event. It will only happen once, so it is rare. But if we pay attention to Scripture and the revelation we can see in nature, it should be very predictable. We prepare for it by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. You're listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff has more for us from Romans chapter 2, but first he has an announcement that I think you will find interesting. Hi, this is Steve Kreloff. I wanted to take a few moments today to tell you how pleased I am that you're listening to Verse by Verse. Our goal here at Verse by Verse is to teach people the Word of God so that they'll be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and glorify God. I hope that you've been learning and growing in your faith as you've listened to our broadcasts. As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support. It's costly to prepare and broadcast these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax-deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, which is versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you, and may our Lord richly bless and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse. Now, let's return to class. We're learning about judgment and studying Romans chapter 2. Because they haven't yet experienced God's judgment, it's easy for people to assume they never will. Here is Pastor Steve to share with us how Paul answered that challenge. And look what Paul says in verse 4. Paul anticipates that kind of thinking, and he says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What he's saying is instead of seeing the, this restraint of judgment as God's, as God's kindness, you think that God ought never to judge. You look down upon his kindness and you think it's coming to you. You think you're deserving of it. Instead of seeing that you're a sinner and you deserve the judgment of God and, and God in his grace and in his mercy has withheld that judgment in order that you might see how kind and gracious he is and how sinful you are and turn to him in repentance. But instead, you call mercy something you deserve. Paul's answer to that is verse 5. But because of your stubbornness, your stubbornness in what? In unrepentance, and that's why it says your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of, of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment 
of God. God's kindness and mercy are designed to lead us to salvation, not to be interpreted as if God's never going to judge us. And he says, yes, he's going to judge you. You don't turn to him in repentance. Now, beginning with verse 6, and that's where we pick up this week, Paul tells them the grounds are the basis for judgment. Judgment is guaranteed. Now, what are the grounds for judgment? On what basis does God judge unsaved mankind? Let's look at verses 6 through 10, and then we'll try to sort this out. Who will render to every man according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. He means the Greek Gentile there. But glory and honor and peace to every man who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's only one ground for judgment, and that's our works or our deeds. And all through the Bible... God says that men are judged according to their works. This isn't anything new. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, God says this, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, most of us stop there. God says the heart is, is desperately wicked, and no one can understand it. You don't know the depths of your heart. God does, but look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. God judges based on works. Jeremiah 32, verse 19, says this, Great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You say, well, that's just in the Old Testament. That's not really in the New Testament. Well, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. God's judgment is based on deeds. God gives based on Indeed, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, we already stated that in the opening remarks, the judgment of the Gentile nations. God says, as you've treated Israel, this is a reward. If you treated them proper, you get this. If you don't treat them proper, you get this because it evidenced what you were really like. First Corinthians chapter three, which is not, as I said before, really judgment. It's an evaluation for our works, evaluation of, of whether they were worthless or whether they were eternally minded. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it, it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he's built upon, upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. See, not talking about judgment for sin, but a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. He's not speaking about hell. At this point, he's speaking simply about the works of a believer. But the point is, is that judgment, evaluation, is based on works. The judgment of God is uh, upon, based upon works, regardless of whether it be rewards for believers' works or eternal punishment for unbelievers' works. Now, at this point, my guess is that some of you are getting nervous. 
You've been taught all your life that salvation isn't based on works, but verses 6 through 10 seem to contradict that. Contradict that. There is no contradiction. Salvation is by grace through faith apart from any works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There is no boasting in heaven about how good a person was to make it there. That's why it's by grace through faith. It's also true that nobody could ever make it there on their own. But the point is this. In Romans chapter 2, and keep this in mind, and this will keep you from getting confused, hopefully from getting confused. Paul isn't referring to salvation. That's not in mind here. He doesn't deal with salvation in the sense of, of how a person gets to heaven until you come to Romans chapter 3, verse 21, where he says, now the righteousness of Christ is offered. All he's doing at this point is giving principles of judgment, not of salvation, judgment. No one is saved by their works, but they are judged by their works. No one is saved by their works, but judgment is based upon works. Because works reveal the true character and the true nature of a person. Works indi indicate whether a person is saved or lost. Paul doesn't even begin speaking about the righteousness of Christ's salvation until a chapter later. In Romans 2, Paul is merely establishing that someday mankind will stand before God and he will see by their works their true character. And he'll evaluate and see that they were never saved. You see, righteous deeds flow out of a righteous life. And unrighteous deeds flow out of an unrighteous life that's never received Christ. Unsaved people never do righteous deeds. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Well, let's look at verse 7. You'll see what I mean. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now, I don't believe Paul at all is saying here that if you do good, God's going to give you eternal life. I think what he's, what he's saying is if you could do good, you would get eternal life. But the whole point of the first three chapters is to show us that what? There's none good. No, not one. If you want to get to heaven, you think you can get to heaven by being good, then the standard is, verse 7, to those who by perseverance in doing good, all the time doing good. What kind of good do you have to do? Is it just giving to charity? Just helping humanity? No. For glory? Do you seek for God's glory in your life? Do you seek every action, every deed, every thought, every attitude in your life is for the glory of God? To make Him known? To respond to His attributes? Is, is that what your life is? Well, that's what verse 7 says. Needs to be. How about honor? Do you always honor the Lord in everything? You're never concerned about uh, prestige and fame that come from other people? Everything you do is with, a, is with uh, keeping in mind God's honor and immortality. Is that your, everything has a heavenly perspective? You, you, you are always doing everything in mind with eternity's values at stake? If that's your life, Always, all the time, then you can say eternal life will be your reward. In other words, what he's, what he's saying is, if you're perfect, you get to heaven that way. You know, there's two ways to get to heaven. Some of you, before I explain, are going to think I'm a heretic. But there's two ways. The first way is be perfect. 
Live your life always, every moment, to the glory of God, honor, immortality, always persevering and doing good. If you could do that, you don't need a savior. But since none of us can do that, there's the other way. The way we have to take. Trust Christ. Receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To receive his righteousness is our only escape from the judgment to come. No one needs to face the judgment Paul was warning us about, and that's the great news yet to come later in Romans. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. The support of listeners helps keep us on the air, but please be sure to support your own church first. You can listen to these classes anytime at our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have previous classes stored on the archives page. That is versebyverseradio.org. To hear this entire message, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours so that you can order a CD or a cassette. That number again is 727-441-1714. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.